0: you can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash first paw media here's to the adventure seeking dog mushers out there the hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights of course there is something else you could do if you've got something to say start a podcast with first paw media and harness your creative side Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio. Hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert
1: Forto. Hello and welcome to... Mushing Radio. This is Robert, and you're listening on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. Radiofreepalmer.org is our live streaming site. And today I have Iditarod musher Deke Nakaborn. He is calling in from Fairbanks, Alaska, just recently finished his third Iditarod. And we're going to jump in and talk all about his race, his dogs, how he got started in the sport, and much more. Let's kick it off. Deke, how's it going today?
2: Uh, It's going great. Uh, Beautiful spring day here in Fairbanks. Uh, All the snow's melting fast and it's starting to dry out, so it's going great today.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is becoming a beautiful spring here in Willow as well. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. I know it's been a couple of months since Iditarod is over. You've probably had some time to reflect and think about it, but first off, congratulations on your finish this year. You came in in 11 days 4 hours 12 minutes i believe and that's dang near 2 hours or 2 days better than your Rick, rookie run in 2020 that's that's quite an improvement isn't it
2: yeah um we uh had a little bit better luck this year and didn't get bogged down in a storm for for 2 days like we did the the first two i did rods we tried um, but yeah, I didn't even know what my time was. I thought I was under 11 days, but I don't, I don't quite remember. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Hey, that there's nothing to sneeze about with that, uh, 11 day finish for sure. And we're going to jump into talking about, I did a rod here in just a second, but I'm reading through your, I, your bio over on. Iditarod.com, and it says that you do a lot of work um, in the land management sector. You've worked in Florida. You work here in Alaska. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you get started in that industry?
2: Uh, yeah, so when, when I was in college in uh, Gunnison, Colorado, I got a job in the National Park Service, and that led to me becoming a um, law enforcement ranger uh, with the National Park Service, and that kind of brought me to several parts of the country. Um, I got exposed to mushing um, between uh, ranger seasons in northern Sweden with uh, Mats Peterson. And then I moved to Florida, of course, after learning how to mush in Sweden. And the whole reason I moved to Florida was to get from a um, kind of a seasonal job to a permanent job with federal government. And then um, I made the plunge and moved to Alaska uh, 11 years ago um, with the Bureau of Land Management because um, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have a, a permanent job where I could eventually buy a, buy a kennel and raise my dogs, and um, the ultimate dream was, of course, to run the Iditarod, so um, so far, mission accomplished.
1: <laughs> Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about working in the Everglades. I'm sure that's, that's fascinating to a lot of folks. What was your job there, and you know, sort of what was the, uh, the daily grind, if you will, about working in that uh, area of the country?
2: Yeah, it's a really unique place uh, down in southern Florida. Um, the Everglades is, in, in, in my opinion, is just pure wilderness. It's a, it's a very, really wild place. And I lived in a, I lived between um, the Naples area and the Miami area, kind of in the southern tip of Florida, that most people don't go to a place called Everglades City. And um, I patrol the waters, and I always say that we have sharks, not alligators, where I, I work because. I was on a motorboat with, uh, with an outboard engine and uh, um, patrolling the waters of, they call it the 10,000 Islands. It's a uh, mangrove islands, and there's just so many nooks and crannies. And I really enjoyed, uh, you know, learning about uh, the waters and exploring the uh, Everglades on, on a boat. And I, I spent about 30 hours a week on, on a boat. And uh, my job was like a game warden, um, checking fishermen, making sure people had their boating safety equipment. Um, So on and so forth, and I got to do really fun stuff like manatee manatee necropsies, um, nesting sea turtle predation problems from raccoons. Um, So I have a bunch of really cool wildlife: bottlenose dolphins, stingrays, um, horseshoe crabs. Uh, So yeah, I really really enjoy my time down there. But um, I was I was due to arrive in Alaska at some point in my life, and that that came in the uh, the fall of 2011. So here I am.
1: I lived in Fort Myers Beach many years ago and I drove that route several times from, like you said, Naples over to Miami. Is that the area that they call Alligator Alley? Uh that, that stretch of road there?
2: Yeah, I, I'm not sure if the interstate's called Alligator Alley or um I think it's Highway Forty one or yep. forty. That uh is a, is a southern yeah, um I'm not sure which one's called Alligator Alley, but um the route that I I think that you and I were talking about definitely has a lot of alligators along along the route. And um the endangered Florida panther, as um, sometimes
1: seen on that route as well. Right. So moving to Alaska was that a job transfer, or did you just say I've had enough of the heat and the swamp of Alaska, or of Florida? I'm going to move where it's a little bit cooler.
2: Well, I heard this. Uh, I heard this rumor um, that if you're going to have dogs, you have to have some income.
1: <laughs> right.
2: And um, so I was. I was waiting. I was waiting to um, switch career, switch jobs. I, I was. I would have taken anything as long as. Um, Kind of it was with the federal government because I kind of had status with the government and um, and I was just looking at the first chance to uh, to get to Alaska. Um, I tried to get to Katmai and then I tried to get to be the, the um, I almost got the Wonder Lake remote ranger driving Denali, but uh, just missed that one. And then the next job that came open was the, with the Bureau of Land Management working in a place called Chicken Alaska and who wouldn't want to work in. Um, Chicken Alaska, being from you know Florida, or coming from Florida, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been there as well. That's quite an electric place, especially in the summer. Uh, have you had a chance to to be a part of or visit uh, the Chicken Stock Festival they have up there?
2: Yeah, I've uh, attended it a few times. Um, it's it's a really great event. It's, a, it's it's not just chicken stock, though. the whole The whole town really fun that time of year. And um, I um I will I will be in the area again this year to um yeah just enjoying the festivities and maybe collect some of the peeps out of the out of the airplane that drops them so
1: <laughs> very cool so so let's switch to dogs now that we have sort of a background uh, under our belt there uh, you finally moved up here after working with Mats in Sweden and you you knew it was time to get your own dogs and and try this sport out on your own. So I guess, what was the the foundation? Where did you get your first group of dogs from? Uh, What were your first races? That sort of thing.
2: Yeah, so um, really cool small world thing is uh, um, I uh, got my first puppy um, from a a German man that that moved his kennel from Kirina, Sweden, where Matt lives, to Two Rivers. So this dog's mom was actually in mats's kennel, as far as I understand, but I didn't know that at the time, of course. And then eventually, like um, a year later after I bought this puppy, I overtook his kennel. So most of my dogs, my original 15 dogs, were, were born in of Sweden, uh, which is where I learned to mush. Um, and that was all by happenstance. And um, it kind of became a cool thing because uh, – I have some uh, Scandinavian lines in my in my bloodlines now um, from Roger Dahl and Robert Soley, and uh, those guys are, are heavy hitters over there. So it's kind of a cool little cool little um, ingredient or whatever flavor I have in, in my kennel today. So, um, but yeah, um, fall of 2013, uh, one day I had two dogs, and the next day I had 17 dogs because I went and uh, overtook a, a kennel. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's how it happens, doesn't it? I think that's how I got my start yep. <laughs> up here in Alaska as well. Uh, I was uh, working with uh, another kennel, like a lot of us do, and I had a few dogs there and went fishing down in the Kasilof area. And a mushing friend of ours was getting out of, out of dogs and he said, hey, I've got a group of dogs here. Are you interested? And luckily I had my dog truck and I came back with eight or nine more dogs. And all of a sudden we had a dog team. It sounds <laughs> very similar to, to you and a lot of other people.
2: Yeah, nothing like biting off more than you can shoot. That's for, sure. I mean, <laughs> for like, sure. You don't know what you're getting into at the time, but it all worked out.
1: <laughs> for sure. So, so you said in yeah. 2013, uh, you were ready to rock and roll. Uh, did you start right off the bat running in the mid distance races here, like the Copper Basin, the Connect 200, <laughs> those sorts of races?
2: Yeah, so uh, I was in my, uh, I was 27 or 28 years old, and, you know, king of the world at that time in my life, uh, just like living off the grid in Alaska. just got my sled dog team. And, uh, um, I'm going to run the Yukon quest 300 as my first race. Okay. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I, uh, I tried that and I'll never forget. Um, I didn't know what I was doing by the way. And I, I tried, I tried that and, uh, I started Sith and I'm in this broken down, like Oh, one Dodge Ram pulling like these dilapidated dog boxes on a two place, snow machine trail. And that year in the quest, we started on, on, um, I'm not sure what street, but downtown like in town. So we started our mush past the stores, very similar to the I did Iditarod ceremonial start. And I started fifth, and right across the street is Gene's uh, Chrysler truck for uh, proudly sponsors Ali Zirkle. And I'm like, "Well, there's one of the legends right there." And I just kind of smiled and said, "Hey, what's up, Ali?" <laughs> and uh, that that was like me meeting like um, um like a Michael Jordan or you know whoever. And uh and uh, that was that was kind of a uh, very, uh, uh, a very very good memory of how how close and connected the the mushing community is how i'm a rookie with no idea what i'm doing and i'm next to one of the best mushers ever lived you know my first race Uh, that being said um i scratched at 101 um so like 130 miles into the race and i didn't run another race for three or four more years because um i kind of went back to the drawing board and realized i had a lot of learning uh to do and training to do so um yeah (laughs)
1: <laughs> and and so if if I, if my time is is correct there what is that at about 2016 or 17 then
2: yeah so in 2017 i uh um, i finished my first race which in my opinion will always go down as my hardest race because um just mushing so mental but both for the human and the dogs that i've never been so tired and never been so cold and I've never been you know i just as a rookie um I just think that 200 miles, there was two reverse 200. And and I think that first race will always be my hardest one because that, you know, just the mental aspect of mushing. And once you get that stepping stone kind of in place, it's like, oh, now I kind of know what to expect. Um, so I did that race in 2017. And then um, kind of 2018 was my first full year of doing the uh, the racing circuit, so to speak, where I did three, four, five events. And I've been at it ever since, ever since 2018, um, doing four to eight events a year.
1: You had mentioned mental being a huge part of mushing, and we just interviewed Bridget Watkins. She actually uh, aired her episode uh, right before yours last week, and she said that uh, that mushing is ninety percent mental, ten percent physical. And from what you said, I, I attend. I, I assume you agree with that.
2: Yeah, a- absolutely. That's a really good way to put it. Um, and what surprises a lot of people that I I talk to about it's, it's also mental for the dogs. Um, they're they're living they're living creatures and uh you know they have highs and lows and ups and downs just like we do so uh and yeah the whole sleep deprivation um like it seems it just seems like older people are better at not sleeping than younger people but maybe that's just maybe that's just the way i think but um these uh these veterans of these races seem to like go on no sleep and be fine and like the younger the younger generation seem to have a little more you know a little more issues with that but um
1: who knows yeah i i think that i would agree with that as well there's i guess there's a reason why they uh they have uh early bird specials at restaurants at 4 p.m because those guys are in bed by nine and they're up they're up at three o'clock in the morning ready to rock and roll and play play shuffleboard yeah, and everything else in florida and i'm sure you're familiar with that yeah so, absolutely yeah so absolutely. let's jump over to iditarod you ran your first iditarod in 2020 that is uh the COVID year, if you will, uh, a lot of things were happening there at the end of the trail. You know, the, the world was shutting down around you guys. You probably didn't know much about it as you were, uh, finishing that race. Tell us a little bit about that race and then we'll compare and contrast, uh, with this year.
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, in, in 2020, uh, um, I I, of course, was a rookie. So, um, just tickled to death to be in the rod. Like the dream is coming true every single minute of that race. And, uh, um what was real memorable is uh pulling into Ofer. um i chose the 24 and Ophir because i heard that was the most quest like um checkpoint and i was used to the quest at that point more than the editor and i pull into Ofer and someone told me that the men's uh ncaa march madness basketball tournament had been canceled because of because c- of covid and i'm a huge sports fan um can't get enough sports and uh i'm like well that's that's a pretty big deal then you know like um, and then, and then I always remember that memory is like, where were you when the outbreak hit or, you know, where were you at this moment in life? And, um, and at that, at that same time, uh, I, uh, I met my girlfriend, Nikki, who was a, I did her odd vet on the trail at her rookie year in Ophir too. So the, the, um, two of us met in Ophir of all places, you know, seven people that year, 24 in Ophir and, um, kind of a COVID slash met my girlfriend who I'm still with slash I'm on the editor for my first time slash what is going on in the world. Um, so that was, that was a pretty, pretty crazy 24 hour um, layover in Oprah. And I think I always go to Oprah for my 24 from now on. Cause um, what a, what an awesome checkpoint and unbelievable hosts um, at that checkpoint. And then, um, yeah, as, as the race proceeded, um, you know, every single checkpoint, it's like, well, you know, Shaq Felix not going to have anyone there and, you know, there's not going to be any banquet when you get to Nome. And, you know, just kept feeling like the details of COVID and how they were kind of addressing it in the Iditarod, you know, kept uh, kept kind of shaking out. And then we get to Elam and uh, we became the Elam 11. Um, we were the, the back of the pack mushers and a storm hit. It broke up like the, the Bering Sea ice and stuff. So we had to do the overland trail. And uh, we were I was in Elam for 60 like sixty hours or something. Wow. Um. So got to know Elon real well, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So it was it was uh, a lot of memorable moments. Uh, in addition to be, to just being my rookie, I did a odd. Um, but uh, finished that. My sister was waiting for me in Nome. Um, she's absolutely the best. And uh, we were there for maybe a night. And I ate a pound of bacon, got my belt buckle, and flew home. <laughs> so yeah. You know
1: and and now uh this year obviously there's a heck of a lot more pomp and circumstance everything's back uh right with the world as they say what about this race how did it go for you you finished uh in, in a very respectable spot there in a very small field how was the 2023
2: I did uh it was it was really great um we had an awesome run um probably the best run of of my mushing career so far, um, finished with the biggest team of twelve dogs, won the Leonard Cepule Humanitarian Award for uh, best vet care, which is, in my opinion, besides winning yeah, uh, the Iditarod, the greatest award in, in mushing that, I, that I'm aware of. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, everything, everything was picture perfect. I don't, I don't, it was, it was. I don't want to say it was like easy, but I mean, when things are going good, they're 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 going they're going good, and when things are going bad, they're going bad. But things are going really, really well for us. Um, and, uh, I would have, I think I would have finished with 13 if I wish would have hung in with a dog for one more checkpoint, but that's, that's okay. We're happy with 12. Um, the only thing that was kind of a, a struggle was, uh, our, our worst, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's me being mentally in the dumps, but our worst leg is crossing Norton sound from, uh, Shaq, Tulip to Koyuk. That, that leg, just the three editor odds that I've ran now has really been, um, I don't know a, a mind teaser or something but it's uh it, it struck again this year um we were 15 miles into our run leaving Tulik and uh we had a really nice stiff north wind we were in a winter weathery advisory or something like that but it was a, a heavy or a consistent 30 to 40 mile an hour wind and we had a ground blizzard and um having a big team actually was detrimental at that time because i couldn't see my leaders <laughs> So if i had like a team of eight i probably would have been okay crossing norton sound but since i couldn't see my lead dogs and swing dogs we had to do a u-turn and head back to the shelter cabin and stay there for i think 16 or 17 hours and um kind of wait for daylight and uh, i also waited for the uh, Chris- Christy annie Barrington and mike williams jr to kind of come through so i kind of had a group to mush with through norton sound to make sure you know like i had i don't know just better to travel and and, and pack sometimes so other than that uh, it was yeah, it was it was a dream run magic carpet ride i think we were one of the fastest teams for the last 200 to 300 miles of the whole race and we almost well we didn't almost get nick for the um safety gnome record but we were second so <laughs> Hey! But yeah, this really fun, really fun, really fun trip. Yeah.
1: Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, he he's a speed demon <laughs> out there, especially uh, yeah. towards towards the end there. So for our listeners, they yeah. may not be really familiar, but we talk about that a lot, uh, and especially during I Iditarod, you see or hear of teams traveling together. Can you describe that for our listeners in, in a way that, that, that they could probably understand? Because obviously, you guys are not uh, going down the trail hand-in-hand, hand, if you will. You guys are quite a bit spread apart sometimes. Uh, it's not that constant leapfrog that a lot of people would expect. Tell us a bit about that scenario on the trail.
2: Sure. Um, I, guess, I guess I'm really comfortable mushing alone. That, you know, um, and it, it's really easy to mush by yourself when, when things are good. But, you know, the the Iditarod, although it's a race of speed and it's, you know, me versus another team versus another team versus another team, sometimes it's musher versus mother nature. And and in those moments, it's not about um, beating your opponent or so to speak. It's about, you know, joining forces with another musher and their team and getting through something together. So that way, like, hey, my lead dog is having a hard time. Can you leapfrog me and then I'll follow you for a while? and uh and vice versa and then we go our separate ways once kind of you know the conditions get more comfortable again but uh, i just i was in the storm shelter and i didn't want to go back out on the sea ice and the ground storm without knowing other people were going getting through it as well so um basically i i I kind of took advantage of christy and and anna and mike williams jr's uh, experience and let them go in front of me and say well if they can do it i can do it because they have more way more i did Races under the belt than I do, um, so I just needed kind of that confidence boost, knowing that other mushers were out there in front of me, and uh, basically, if they can do it, I can do it. So um, that's kind of what that was about.
1: So you you come into Nome, you you finally obviously have have a banquet. I know that you ran it in 2022, but obviously this one is is the freshest in your mind. Did you get a chance to relax and reflect on the race a little bit and say, "Wow, this this is one heck of a ride I'm having going." all this way from all these years, you know, like we talked about starting in Florida, then over in Sweden. And now here we are uh, finishing several Iditarods and having them under your belt.
2: Yeah, totally. It's a great question. Um, I don't know what happens. Something magic happens every time I have run the Iditarod or the Yukon quest. I've run that race a thousand mile one, uh, one time, but like day four and on, it's like, I don't ever need to go back to society. Um, I have everything I need. I mean, it's, it's a vacation from that point on I'm, I'm, I'm regimented in my sleep and run schedule. Um, things are great. Like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is, but something happens to me where I become one with the trail, one with the dogs and I don't need anything else in, in, in life. Maybe besides maybe to see my, my, my son, but, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this, this, uh, and, 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 um, in, in 2023 and 2020, well, 2023, the, um, the, audience of the crowd at the uh bib draw in anchorage that was uh that was incredible it was it was a full room at the nina center from from wall to wall and uh, i had never seen kind of that much support for the Iditarod because of the covid pandemic so um it was really humbling to me to see how many people um were at that dinner to see how many people support this race um yeah that was that was really neat and the same goes with the the GNOME banquet, um, you know, a, a packed house, and uh, I don't know, it, it, yeah, it was a magical experience. The whole, the whole thing. There's nothing like the editor in the whole, whole world, and the, the people along along the way, and the volunteers, and the vets, and the race, the race officials, and everything. They're just they're top notch. I, I yeah, I can't I can't wait to next year. So.
1: So before we jump into our next section, Deke, I have to ask, you talked about uh, your son, Nolan, uh, just, just a young guy there, but on your bio that you says your hobbies include being a dad, fixing things, and mowing the lawn, I don't think you get more <laughs> of a dad quote than that. What's the story behind that?
2: <laughs> well, um, it's, um, as a, I don't know, as, as a, well, I used to live off the grid, and now I live um, uh, close to town in Gold Street Valley, but as a musher, you're always fixing things, right? Because I just don't, I don't have the income to buy a new wheeler or a new truck. So I'm always tink- tinkering and fixing things. And then of course, I love spending time with my my son. Um, we play a lot of sports. And then and then um, mowing the lawn, that was uh, my first business. So like, it was always kind of a funny story when I was interviewing for a job uh, with the federal government, they always ask the question, have you ever owned your own business? And I say, always have to say yes, because when I was 12 years old, I had a lawn mowing business. Right. So um, um I don't know. I just it was something um uh satisfying for me to to mow the lawn and uh wherever I live I will always have grass to mow so my son and I can play catch or kick a soccer ball or whatever it is. So um those things kinda go hand in hand I suppose and um yeah that's, that's kinda where that came from.
1: <laughs> I like it. So let's talk a little bit about your dogs. You told us about uh the history of the kennel there, but I'm sure that you have A favorite dog or two or maybe a cool story about uh, one of the dogs on this year's Iditarod or maybe in the kennel? What would you like to share?
2: Yeah, totally. Um, So I've only ever, besides the original kennel I have, I've only ever purchased two dogs. Um, One was from Jesse Holmes and the other one was from Paul Gephardt. And uh, from those two dogs and my original 15 dogs, I've uh, created my own my own mind so to speak and um I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that i i don't buy and sell dogs i don't uh do that I, I i rehome dogs um i have a very good friend that lives near duluth minnesota that's uh kind of starting his own kennel and and he's adopted for my dogs and getting two more uh this year so that's really fun to follow him and uh so so yeah i'm really i'm really proud of that everything that runs my own and um i had a lead dog from the time that she was one year old until um this uh last summer her name is jasmine she was born out of the disney princess litter so bell jasmine pocahontas ariel and her and their brother simba but she was you know that one dog in a lifetime just like you know a cowboy has one or two horses in a lifetime that are just this something something else and uh she was my go-to my heart and soul my everything i trusted her in my life and she trusted her you know with hers and um last summer she stepped on something and tore a tendon in her wrist and um what a devastating blow to um my kennel right because you know when you tear a tendon she's going to be fine forever as a pet dog but she's not going to be running the aditarod anymore and uh what i'm getting at is okay so we're going to enter the aditarod and without our main leader and we're just going to need someone to step up as they all say and i'm like this isn't going to happen and sure enough uh during the Willow 300 and then on the Yukon Quest 550, a three-year-old named Peso uh, started to say, hey, 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 dad, I can I can maybe do some leading. And uh, he ended up leading every single mile of the Yukon or the Iditarod this year. Uh, not for one minute was he not in lead. And um, I noticed something that I've never seen before. I've only heard about it. Um, going over Eagle Summit, um, which is um, probably the hardest feature in all of mushing sometimes with the weather. Um, it's on the Yukon Quest, and um, sure enough, the trail was blown in, and I couldn't see anything. And I started seeing Peso do like these S curves, like uh, like going left, going right, going left, going right. And I realized that Peso was smelling the trail, and I couldn't believe it. I've heard, I've always heard that dogs can do this, but he was literally smelling the trail and keeping us right in the middle of the, the drifted in trail. And then, just to show how proud he was, we get to the summit. And uh, he stops and he lifts his leg and he pees on the marker to say, "Hey, <laughs> I got us here. I'm marking this territory." And uh, yeah, you're welcome. So um, anyway, that was a that was a cool um, kind of thing that I've always heard about and it actually happened. And uh, yeah, he's just been incredible this year.
1: I like it, and, and it's amazing how they step up at exactly the right time. I've seen that in in our dogs several times where, where they just say, hey, we're ready to go in, boss. It's like coming off the bench on a football team. And, and the next thing you know, you have the next Tom Brady on your hands.
2: Uh, absolutely. And and I don't know what it is that we recognize in the dogs, but we recognize it. And uh, it's I guess it just goes to show that we really know our dogs and care for them. So.
1: <laughs> Very good. So the next, one, next question I have is the question I ask all of our guests. And I'm interested to hear what you have to say. You've been doing this for... Over a decade now, you've probably seen a lot of things come and go. And the question is, where do you see the sport of mushing and possibly the Iditarod in the next five years or so, maybe in the next decade? Obviously, there's a lot on our plate with climate change and the economy and sponsors and all of that. Where do you see the sport uh, coming up uh, in the next few years?
2: So, yeah, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of transitioning, um, a lot of. Uh... Yeah, um, you know, small teams and so on and so forth for, for the reason. Uh, me personally, um, I, I mush for the joy of mushing and spending my my lifestyle with dogs and sharing that with my son and my friends and my family. And um, what the races do for me is it's a chance for me to rub shoulders with other people that are crazy and nuts like I am, other dog people. So in, I, I take more joy out of racing as like a, a like a family reunion with with the other mushers of the community, and it's a time for me to say, hey, what do you you know, how do you do this or how do you do that? So so me personally, um, if there was never a, a race ever again to compete in, um, what would probably happen is I'd get invited or I'd be the one inviting people to like, hey, let's go um, let's go have a fun run to uh you know Wonder Lake and Denali. Let's go up to the Arctic and and do this and. Uh, so, so that's that's kind of where I'm at with that. And uh, that that being said, um, uh, the the racing world is uh, is super cool because, well, you uh, kind of do all of your work ahead of time with your drop bags and logistics and stuff. Um, so, uh, so I, I enjoy that. And um, once in a while, I win a little bit of purse money, so that that helps quite a bit too. Um, where, where the uh, where the rod is going, I I, I have. I have no idea but i mean i I'm, I'm i'm in it to to uh share the trail with other mushers and uh get to know them i actually um have a, a cousin and know my same last name who has become my my host family um so i gotta go see her every year now um but yeah like there's been a lot of conversations and a lot of uh, discussions uh on social media about what are the reasons for the small mushing teams and and um so on and so forth and um you know, it, it just ebbs and flows and um, hopefully I can help carry the sport forward by sharing my passion with uh, kids and, and other adults and we can get the numbers back up. Um, I have no idea what the solutions are or anything like that, but um, I'm, I'm just very thankful that I'm 39 years old and I have about 10 to 15 years left in mushing and thankful that I've gotten to complete the Iditarod and hope I can every year for the next 10 to 15 years
1: there you have it well thank you very much for for that perspective deke so let's jump into our last segment here and this is the time where you're able to thank or or give kudos to those that uh, that help you out on the trail do you have anybody special and if so uh who is it
2: yeah for sure um um my my um most supportive sponsor since i started this has been um uh, Barb and Tyler, the owners of Aurora Animal Clinic, um, and congratulations to them. Uh, they just, um, moved clinics and they have a much, much bigger and nicer and more tech-savvy facility. So that just happened like a month ago. So congrats to them. And also, uh, Ivory Jacks, uh, Dick Ellsworth, Ivory Jacks, he's been a huge part of the mushing world, um, for a long time and I appreciate his sponsorship. And, and then most importantly, uh, this, this past winter, um, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm tired of doing it myself. So I started getting other people involved and uh, I have a really amazing human team. Um, uh, one of my best friends named Eric Straley, um, he's kind of the dad of our operation. He makes sure we are on time to things and not late and make sure all of our equipment's uh, in safe and functional condition. And then we have the kid who came on this year. His name's Jonah Bacon. And uh, just 24 years old, I have him totally addicted to mushing. And uh, he plans to run um, all the Iditarod qualifiers uh, next season. Um, He's also my neighbor. And then I also um, very much want to thank uh, Nikki Preston. She's my girlfriend. And she's also a veterinarian at Aurora Animal Clinic. And um, she uh, brings a lot to the table just being my partner and a veterinarian. So um, yeah, mushing with a human team I'm very, very convinced is way more enjoyable than trying to do anything by yourself. Um, just getting back from a training run and talking dogs and uh, having other people to, uh, to ride a sled with, is uh, it, it makes it 10 times, 10 times better. So uh, that's, that's who I'd like to thank, and I really appreciate them a lot.
1: I hear you there. So where can folks find you, Deke? Where are you most active?
2: um i'm pretty old school i guess these days with what they call facebook <laughs> apparently that's the, the social media platform for older people <laughs> <laughs> so um uh yeah i have um everything that I, on my own personal um facebook page is always made public and then i have a uh, nautique sky or it's actually facebook slash Deek dogs um kennel page i try to do instagram um i just don't get Instagram yet <laughs> And uh, I, have a, I have a contact from the United Kingdom who's offered to uh, build my website for me. So he's working on that. Um, so we'll have a website soon up called www.geeksdogs.com.
1: There so you have where
2: it. I usually reach out.
1: All right, and we'll definitely put all those links over on your show notes page as well. And, yeah, Facebook is definitely old school. I'm about 10 years older than you, and I can't quite figure out the Instagram game yet either. I let my daughter handle our business page because she's uh, quite a bit younger right than us, and, and she she yeah. knows it better than I. So, Deke, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you on, and thanks for being such a long time listener. I really appreciate that, and we'll talk again soon, okay?
2: Yeah, and thank you, Robert, for doing this. Uh, it's a huge asset to the mushing world, and um, I think we all really enjoy your, po- your podcasts and, and stuff. So thank you very much.
1: Very good. So on behalf of my guest today, this is Robert for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye.
0: From Dog Works Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.